text this morning is verses 16 through 22 in that psalm that we read, Psalm 105, and how God moves in a mysterious way. And really this psalm, it looks back in summary over God's dealings with his people and over the experiences of the people of God, particularly the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, etc. And the purpose of this review, this historical review, is to mark out the wisdom of God in the way that he leads his people through life, from stage to stage. And really, it's a psalm that reveals the the hidden hand of God in human affairs. You know, these patriarchs often really didn't understand in great depth what the Lord was, was doing with them at the time in their own generation. And like us, there were times when they, they struggled, at times when they lacked the trust that they should have had in the God who holds all things in his hands. And we see that as these, you know, historical accounts are given to us. You know, think of Abraham. You know, there was a time in his life when he felt that it was, it was just taking too long for one of God's promises to be fulfilled. So he decided that he was going to move things on himself. You know, God had given him that promise that he would have a child and through that seed all the nations of the world would be blessed. But it didn't happen straight away. And with every passing month and year and hopes rising and then falling again and as Sarah grew older and sadder and more impatient, so it was that they reached the crisis of faith. They knew that God was real. They knew that God was all-powerful. They knew that God had promised them a son but they also knew that at that point they didn't have a son. And so would they allow the questions of their hearts to overturn their faith, or would they allow their faith to overturn their questions? Well, tragically, they took matters into their own hands. And in their doubting of God's promise and despair, Sarah ordered Abram to be with her maidservant Hagar in hopes of bringing about the promised child, and Abram complied. And they made the wrong decision because they focused on what they thought would work rather than what was right. And the consequences were suffering and pain and heartache. And you know, that's always the way when we make our own plans and go our own way instead of waiting and trusting God to keep his promises. You know, one says, don't lose heart as you sit in life's waiting room. It's always right to wait upon God, and it's always right to wait for God. You know, and history repeats itself. You've got Isaac in his old age, and his sight fading. He calls Esau to give him the blessing, and God had told him that the elder would serve the younger, but Isaac didn't see the hidden hand of God, the, the sovereign secret purpose of God. And again, he, he tries to take matters into his own hand, but the purpose of God was greater that he didn't see. It's the same with Jacob. The hidden hand of God doing things far greater than they knew or understood, working in ways that they couldn't see at the time. And then we come to Joseph and the focus of our text. And you know, when you consider Joseph's life, his his story begins with trouble, but it ends in triumph. It begins with tears and it ends in joy. But you know, sometimes there's a phrase that is used called half-life. And it's often used when scientists speak about the half-life of an atom. But without going into that, that's not my area of expertise. One preacher uses it in terms of Christians having their half-life. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, let me ask you, what would you say 
if you only studied the first half of Joseph's life? What would you say? You know, what a tragedy. You know, could it, could it get any worse? Almost everything goes wrong in his life. You know, the Lord had given this young man a glimpse of the future in his dreams, but, but you think of what he faced. You know, his father favored him more than his brothers. He was given a coat of, of many colors to mark him out, and this young man was the son of his favorite wife, and this coat was to distinguish him. But how his brothers hated him. And then, you know, he had these dreams and the, the sheaves in the field were all to bow down to his sheep and the sun, moon and the stars will bow down to him. And when he goes and he shares these dreams with his family, you know, it was implied that they too would all bow down to, to Joseph. And now his brothers hated him. And they said, we'll see what becomes of his dreams. And then appallingly, they sold him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. You know, the youngest brother at the time, Benjamin, would come along later. And they sold him. And it led to him being taken down to Egypt. And then they would go back and try and cover it up and pretend that he was dead. And for Joseph, his troubles didn't stop there. When in Egypt, he was brought to a servant of a high-ranking man called Potiphar. And he wanted to serve well and honor the Lord. But when he rejected the advances of Potiphar's wife, in revenge, she falsely accused him and he was imprisoned. And there was Joseph in the worst prison in Egypt, wrongly condemned with others facing execution. And the scriptures say that at that time, it was as though his soul was in chains, not just his body. You know, one of the very early Bible translations puts it like this. The iron entered his soul. It indicates something beyond physical suffering. His very soul was in anguish because of the way in God's providence he had been treated. And if that was all we had of Joseph's life story, we'd think, well, how harsh, how unfair. But that wasn't the whole story. Nor was it even the full picture of what was happening in those darkest moments. You know, sometimes, friends, in our lives, we can get so hemmed in and trapped in by the trials and the disappointments and the, the frustrations that we are facing that we, we just feel overwhelmed. And it can, be, it can be hard. And at times, you know, sadness can, can grip us because we're only aware of the half-life, as it were. You know, friends, we, we can't read, you know, our, our life forwards, you know. When we read the accounts of significant people, all the autobiographies and biographies, you know, we can know the end. We can know the outcome. You know, if we want to, we can jump and we can read the last chapter and then work our way back and we can see how they came through or not. But, you know, we can't do that with our own lives. You know, we can't read our, our own lives backwards in completion. We can't read the last chapter yet. And so we face these ups and downs in our lives and the life of Joseph and of other saints in the Scriptures help us to see that. You know, and, and all the blessings we're going to talk about this morning, therefore, believers, those who know the Lord, but, you know, even for those who know the Lord, suffering is real. But there's always hope. And in the end, the life of all God's children, every one of them will be blessed beyond measure in the Lord Jesus. And so we have to read our, our little half-life now, the troubles now, in the light of the promises of God. And really, that's what the psalmist is, is emphasizing here. And, 
We see this summary. If you look at verses 17 to 20, he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent him, released him, the ruler of the people, let him go free. So in this, this wonderful summary, Joseph is in chains. For the day comes when he's brought out into the presence of Pharaoh at Pharaoh's command. All of a sudden, his whole situation was transformed. The day came when he saw his dream fulfilled before his very eyes, God's hidden plan and timing. And we know if you uh, are aware of the account in Genesis, you have seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. His brothers came along speaking their Hebrew language, and they come to Joseph. He interviews them, but he uses the Egyptian language, and it never crossed their minds that he was their brother. And he understood them exactly, but they didn't understand him. And no wonder he turned his face away and he, he brushed the tears from his eyes when he heard them speak of how they had wronged him all those years before. And now he was given all this authority in the land. He could bind princes. He could teach the rulers understanding and wisdom. And God suddenly exalted him and lifted him up out of his low condition. And the day came when he revealed the reality to his brothers and there was this Great reconciliation, a, a family reunited, Joseph, you know, full. And Joseph died old and full of days, a true saint. But it's only by seeing the whole that we understand. And so I want to ask this morning, how do we explain the way in which God dealt with this man? And what can we learn from it? What is there for us to learn about our own life, our own walk with the Lord through the valleys here below and the fact that the ways of God at times seem so strange. You know, maybe you're here this morning and maybe you faced or maybe you are facing many problems. Things that, you know, cause you deep upset and disappointment, maybe confusion. And you find yourself saying, well, God's ways are very strange. You know, why, why is this happening to me? Why is my life so different? Why am I going through these sorrowful experiences? And so, what can we learn from God's dealings with Joseph? Why does God deal with us in this way? Well, I want you to see, firstly, it is to fulfill his secret purpose. To fulfill his secret purpose. You know, the hidden hand of God in the lives of, of all men, and especially of those who are his people. And God is working out his secret purpose for his glory, and we must trust that even when we don't understand. You know, one preacher uses the following illustration. Imagine behind me there is a, a vast painting that went from the ceiling to the floor and as wide as this whole building. It was there, all behind me. You know, and imagine that that was there. And imagine that we all go and stand about one foot away. And so we're, we're looking at this painting one foot away and, you know, being so close, what would it mean? It means that we could only see a very small part. And if we wanted to see more of the painting, more of the whole, we'd have to walk backwards until we're in a position to be able to see it. But when we're close up, we only see a small part. And so it is with our lives in this world. You know, in, in facing being rejected by his brothers and sold into slavery, slandered by Potiphar's wife and in prison, Joseph could only see a very small 
and difficult part of his life and the iron went into his soul. His experiences of life were so painful and no doubt he wondered greatly why the Lord had done this to him. You know, many questions, why Lord? Why are these things happening? I obeyed my father, I ended up in a pit, I worked hard, I sought you Lord, I sought to honour you and I end up in prison. What have been tempting to ask, does godliness really pay? And you know, many wicked people, they, they seem to get away with it all. He, he sought to be faithful and he was punished. You know, the trouble can be too much to bear when we close in on the canvas, as it were. And as we go through life's troubles, we're so close to ourselves that we cannot see the greater plan of God. You know, God has many things to do in our lives, many things to do with our lives. He has other people to bless through our lives that if we could stand back from the painting, if we could see the entire picture, then we would know more contentment. We'd be at peace. That's what Joseph came to see. And when his brothers were bowed before him as the tears came to his eyes. He remembered the dreams. He remembered the promises of God and God's hand upon his life, his secret hand in his life, and no doubt he was worshipping God in his soul, blessing God that everything had come through. Genesis 50 verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, for God meant it for good. Whatever happens in life, whatever people may intend, God orders it for his own children for good. And we may not always understand what is happening to us, but the Lord is always in control. And all the good things that God has promised towards his people and towards you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, will come to full fruition. And we might only see now and what is past. We cannot see what is to come. That's why often we're in despair. But God is telling us through his word and in the example of Joseph and other saints that we must not live by sight but by faith. And to trust him. To trust his character. To trust his purposes. And so why does God deal with us? Well, to fulfill his secret purposes on the grand scale and also in our lives. And also, he deals with us in this way, secondly, to test us and to prove us. You know, another reason why God deals like this is that he is testing us through our circumstances, which prove our character, which highlight where our trust really is. You know, students in a classroom, they're taught a subject, and you know, they absorb the lessons, or they're meant to at least, and they take their notes, and you know, they're all there, and when they come to sitting the exam, what do they have to do? Well, they have to use and apply what they learned. And it's similar for us as believers. You know, we come under the word, we hear the great truths explained, we, we get the principles, we get the theory, but then in life comes the testing, comes the reality. And that's why we have to engage in these things like this morning to actively listen. You know, life is hard. We, we face people that are opposed to the gospel. We face a world that hates the things of God, hates those things which many of us count precious, not least the Lord Jesus. And then there are those troubles that sweep into our lives. You know, the, the sudden illness or the loss, relationship difficulties, maybe financial hardships, so many to mention, and they can quickly overtake the lives of the people of God. 
And why do we have to face these things? Well, it proves us, it deepens us, and it makes us dependent upon the Lord. And the challenge is, are we really going to apply those biblical truths to our lives each day? Do we really believe that God will be with us and sustain us and fulfill his promises as he says he will in his word? Do we stand on those things when the troubles come? Are we going to do what is right even when things seem to be crumbling all around us or are we going to compromise? Are we going to find the comfortable way, the convenient way? You know, it would have been easy for Joseph just to give in to Potiphar's wife. But what did he say? He said, how shall I commit this great sin against God? How shall I do it? He was a man of principle and he said no to the devil and he suffered for it. And the question is, will we? Will we in the evil day, when the temptation comes, will we stand fast? Will we say no to the evil because the fear of God and the love of God moves us to do what is right? You see, when these things come to us in God's dealings, it is to prove us, to deepen us, to test us. And then, thirdly, why does God deal with us like this? Well, because he loves to surprise his people. You know, Joseph had honored the Lord, and in his time, God will give him a wonderful surprise. You know, imagine him there in the dungeon, in the chains, you know, in pain, tired from lack of sleep, and then all of a sudden, there's a, there's a key in the door, and the light starts to, to break into the dark cell. You know, well, what is this? You know, it's not the usual time for a visit. You know, why, why are the prison guards coming? And what do they say? Pharaoh has summoned you. We've got to clean you up and, and get you ready to see him. The king has had a dream. We've been told that you could interpret dreams. He wants you to come and do that for him. And in one day, Joseph is taken from the pit and he's made the prime minister. He is taken from chains to commanding the nation. It's an incredible thing. But that is what God is able to do. You think of Proverbs 13, 12. This is a wonderful verse. You should mark it if you don't know it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Now, some of the older writers suggest that the tree of life reference, you know, is, is linked back to Eden. And when man sinned against God, they were disqualified. They weren't allowed to eat from the tree of life, but when men please God, when they wait patiently for God to bless them, even in difficult circumstances, when the blessing of God does come, it's like being given permission to eat from that tree. When hope is deferred, you know, we, we know what that's like. You know, we start to ask God, don't we? You know, how long do we have to wait for? How long are these things going to carry on and the delays are hard to deal with? We can be like Habakkuk, oh Lord, how long shall I cry to you and you won't hear? Even crouch you violence and you won't save. Why do you show me iniquity? Why do you cause me to see trouble? And he cries out to the Lord. And the Lord is gracious and he understands when we cry like that. How long? Why, Lord? And his ultimate answer is given to us in the Lord Jesus and his triumph. As one explains, he loves to bring the glimmers of dawn after the darkest of nights. There's always hope with the Lord. We are brought back to that battle to trust him, to believe his promises, to rest in his timing, to be faithful, even when the world shouts at us not to. 
and to remember God is still on the throne and he will remember his own. Though trials may press us and burdens distress us, he will never leave us alone. And then when God is pleased to come, it comes like a tree of life. You know, Joseph had more than he could have anticipated. Rich blessing, which not only saw the family reconciled, but also this position of of authority to command the nation to, to feed the world in its great need. God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. You see, only God is the reason why Joseph's situation was changed. Only God could do that. All of grace and all to his glory. You know, it would be so easy to read Joseph's half-life, his suffering, his trouble, and to say, what a disappointment, how awful. But God's purpose was far beyond that. And it's only when we see the whole that it makes sense. Only then do we gain a a greater appreciation of the wisdom of God and the grace of God and the goodness of God. And that's why the psalmist celebrates that. You know, see the way in which he begins and ends the psalm. He says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And it'll be the same for us as believers. If we learn this great truth to not judge the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. You know, we sung the words, but do you believe them? Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. You know, we'll be able to rejoice in him even in the difficult times. And even though we can't read the future, he knows the way he takes. And so I'll walk with him. I'll walk with him. And though we may only have known much of the sorrow and the trials and the suffering, we can still say, praise the Lord, he has saved me. He will keep me. He is faithful. And the same God who looked after these patriarchs, he's looking after me. And in Christ, God is for me. I am his child, and he will lead me through. To believe it, to rest in it, we trust his secret purpose. We cannot see the end, but he can. And that is enough for us. We rest in him. And then to draw it all together, The last thing to really highlight for you and the elements of it is this, that one of the most important ways in which Joseph's life was being shaped by God and that God was dealing with him is so that he might be a type of Christ, so that he might point forward to the Lord Jesus. And you say, well, how does Joseph point to Jesus? Well, in many, many ways, but let me just give you a few. Joseph is a picture of Christ in that there must be humility before honour. Before exaltation is humiliation. And you know, for for normal people like us, you know, the Lord will humble us and try us before he uses us. But for the Lord Jesus, we know that he humbled himself when he came. That he took human form, that he entered this world of tears, that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That he humbled himself to death, even the death of a cross. And he went through all of that to save his people. But the day came when he was raised from the dead. His exaltation came and he has been given a name which is above every name. And Joseph's life is a a picture of that. It is a pointer of that. It's a, a type of Christ that the Lord casts down and he lifts up. And you know, if we follow the Lord Jesus, you know, in a measure that same principle applies for us. If we suffer with Christ in this life, we shall also reign with him. 
And if we could see all the picture on the canvas or to see precious ones now there with Christ on the throne, we would rejoice. You know, if I could show you your last chapter, if I could show you how you would shine in the kingdom of glory, if I could show you how the angels are thankful to God that you have been brought there and are now glorified with Christ in heaven forever, you would count your present sufferings to be dross compared with the honor which awaits you. There must be that humbling before exaltation. And Joseph is also a picture of Christ in that he was rejected by his brethren, sold for 20 pieces of silver. Christ was sold for 30 pieces of silver. You know, and it's part of the, the dreadful shame of this current world and situation that those faithful to the Lord are not only rejected by the world, but so often rejected by their brethren. You know, it was true of men like Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, and you think of Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, and yet they voted him down and against him at the downgrade. And the tragedy is that those who really love and follow Christ, we face rejection even from those who profess to be Christian. Joseph was rejected by his brethren. The Lord Jesus was rejected by his own. Those who should have known better, but it was all part of God's sovereign purpose. And we see that too. And Joseph is a picture of Christ in that he was raised to feed the world. You know, when famine swept across the nations, under Joseph's wise leadership, Egypt had the, the stores of food. And so Joseph had the control of the supply, and he became the mediator of food for, you know, the entire world. You know, in a much higher sense, so is the Lord Jesus. He is the true bread come down from heaven, and those who come to him, the only mediator between God and man, will find their spiritual hunger supplied, and his supply is inexhaustible for all who come to him. He is able to save to the uttermost all the souls that have been saved alive in him are granted to feed on Christ by grace. And there is no reason a Christian should ever say, my soul is famished. Christ is the living bread and his resources are without end. And you know, the last picture, Joseph is a picture of Christ in that he gathered all his family together in the end. You know, not one was missing. After the reconciliation, he sent for his father and all the family to come and join him in the land of Goshen. All the family were there. And it points to the fact that Christ will gather all his own together at last. One flock under one shepherd. And he longs for those who have been given to him, longs for those for whom he died to be with him where he is to know the love of God in all fullness, to know the glory. And what a comfort to know that at the end of the journey, when all the wandering is done, when all the, the tears have been shed, when all the disappointments have endured, all miseries finished, we'll be with him in the family of God for all eternity. And just as Joseph took the brothers and made them sit down to a meal, so in the glory we, if we are believers, will fellowship and feast with Christ and with all the ransomed people of God. And Joseph seated all his brothers in the order of their ages, and that amazed them. And they looked at each other and, and they said, well, well, how could he know he was their brother? And so it will be in heaven 
the Lord Jesus knows us. And there will be a place for all his people. He is our brother. And everyone who loves him will be there. And what a prospect that is. My dear friends, we have to learn to read life backwards and to remember that in the last chapter of our lives, we'll understand why the Bible says that all things work together for good to them that love God. Not today necessarily or tomorrow or the next day, but in the end, all things will work together for good. Through all the troubles of this life, we will be held, we will be brought through because we have one greater than Joseph who has saved us, who has promised to keep us and will have us to be with him forever. And it is a wonderful, wonderful hope. But it is only for those who have trusted Jesus for themselves because it's only in Christ that we can be sure of these wonderful blessings. It's only through him that these things are real to us. And so the question is, do you know Jesus Christ for yourself? Have you turned from your sin and trusted him? Now, I remember hearing a, a preacher use the following illustration. There was a Jewish lady living in England in the early 1900s, and she had never heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. And somehow in God's purpose and goodness, she came into contact with a believer who gave her a copy of the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, she felt compelled to read it, being unfamiliar with the life of Jesus, a Jewish person. And so she, she began to read the book and she began to, to love the book. And it began to leave a, a deep impression uh, upon her. And she thought, you know, what a wonderful man. You know, how has it been that the rabbis have, have never told me about this wonderful Jew called Jesus? And she, she read about his stunning life and his teaching and his, his miracles and his great compassion. And then she, she read how they hated him and rejected him and, and even put him to death on a cross. And at that point, she, she closed the book and she began to weep. How could they have treated such a wonderful man like that? How could my fellow people do that to him? And the next time she met the believer who gave her the gospel. He asked her, you know, have you read the book that I gave you? And she said, yes, but it was a terrible story. And she explained how she had closed the book of the crucifixion. She, she didn't want to read anymore. It's a terrible ending. But the believer said, didn't you read the last chapter? Didn't you read what comes next? And she said, well, I, I couldn't bring myself to read anymore. And the believer said, you go and read it. Go and read the last chapter. And so she went back and she read. And she saw how even though Jesus had died upon that cross, even though he had had to humble himself in that way and give himself in that way, he had risen again in great triumph. And he was alive. And she was converted. And she was able to say, he is Messiah. He is mine forever. And he will walk with me through this life to the next. You see, that's our only hope in this broken, fallen world. The Lord Jesus. God moves in a mysterious way. He does so in our lives. But in Christ, we can know that ultimately the outcome is good to be with the Lord forever. So take heart this morning. Things are tough. If you're in Christ, he is with you. He won't let you go. And if you're outside of Christ, 
Don't waste this opportunity. You come to him and know the salvation that he brings. Amen.